Hey everybody, welcome to the Spoilor edition for this week's episode of Game of Thrones. Uh, it's uh, 604, Book of the Stranger. Sounds like sicko four to me. Yeah, I've got uh, a summer cold, which <laughs> if you've seen Metalocalypse, you know is just the worst. Uh, which now that I think about it, I think I made that same fucking joke this time last year on my solo cast. So it's like something about Game of Thrones makes me ill. I don't know whether it's the stress of the three podcasts a week or or just I don't something about this changing the seasons, but I come down with a goddamn spring summer cold every year at this time. <laughs> but no one gives a shit. I will persevere. Uh just know that I'm heavily medicated. I'm operating about three hours of sleep. Uh well that's your own damn fault. <laughs> no, man. I fucked up my shoulder kayaking two weeks ago, oh, that's right. and so every time I turn over on my left side, I am awoken, even with my fantastic cast for bed. Uh, <laughs> and I also, every three hours, my nose completely decides to stop working, and I wake up gasping for breath, so it's not all my fault. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying. Also, fuck you. Uh, so I want to talk about some King's Moot stuff because people have been asking about the King's Moot. How is the King's Moot okay. going to go? And yeah. I actually have been stalling because I had forgotten a lot of details myself. So I did a bit of research. The King's Moot by law and all this, the double Ds could change or shuffle up as they... There's a, there's a couple things that are interesting. It's held on Old Wick, which was one of the smallest of the Iron Islands. Uh, on a place called Naga's Hill. Uh, now, Naga is the name of a supposed ancient sea dragon that uh, the uh, Iron Islanders revere. Uh, in fact, on this hill, there's what's said to be the bones of Naga, like its rib cage jutting up from the ground, like it was beached and buried there. Mm-hmm. But the way they describe it in the books is very similar to like the way they describe other like stone dragons, where it's like, you know, this could be a bunch of like essentially giant driftwood or rock formations. It's not conclusive that it's it's you know it's not like oh shit this is dinosaur bones and we've dug them up and we've done analysis and hmm. put together a skeleton and this is a no shit sea dragon. It's more like that's just eight thousand years ago this sea dragon died here and yada yada. Um, but I'm curious to see when we get to this uh, old wick set and then the king's moot whether they'll include any of those details or not because you know there's lots of dragons we're gonna be talking about a few different types this podcast and having a sea dragon kicking around would be kind of cool uh the other interesting detail is uh i mentioned that the iron islanders are ironically more democratic than almost any other kingdom in the world because they elect their leader uh but someone reminded me that uh several people reminded me that actually only ship captains are allowed to cast votes Okay. So if you are a captain of one of their long boats, you get to cast a vote. Still, uh, I think I think your statement stands more democratic. It's still more de- yeah. yeah, there's like that's that's more people having a <laughs> right. say than who's not a fucking bloodline in someone's belly and pff, there goes your hair. Right. Uh, long live the king or queen in this case. Uh, and as I mentioned and alluded to in previous podcasts, that the way this is selected is essentially the captains that want to put their hat in the ring. Uh, stand up on the rock and they give their essentially stump speech and then they bribe everyone. They literally spill treasure on the ground for people to pick up and scrape and whoever has the best case and largest loot uh, is seen as a self-evident ruler uh, and and is selected by the captains. So uh, any questions before we move on about some theories around Tom and Secret? Uh, No, I mean, I, I think it bodes well for my idea that Theon could help her with a vote. 
So how does it? Because that would that because he's not captain, a boat, right? Is he? Well, wasn't he made a captain he by was, his father? I guess, made a captain. He he got to command the ship. That's right. The, uh, he was sent off on this mission. Made, I think that counts. I think it counts. The, the big question in my mind is how widespread is the knowledge that he's been unmanned? Because I just okay. you know again. Captain I just can't see the Iron Islanders getting behind. In fact, I think that that's, that would almost be, you know, if he if he's Yara's running mate, it seems like that would be poison. Um, because I just don't see the Iron Islanders being like, yeah, we totally respect this guy who's been castrated and tortured and broken and he refused to be, you know, rescued and and all that those things. So yeah. I mean, he's also complicit in the mean, death of a lot of Iron Islanders. That now that's probably not common knowledge because they were all slaughtered. Yeah. Um. So that probably doesn't bear in the proceedings. But I just don't see them. Uh, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong because obviously I I respect uh, Varys a lot, and he's got the same problem. Mm-hmm. I respect Grey Worm a lot, but I don't see the Iron Islanders doing so. Okay. I mean, I don't know much about them, but you know, is is he a captain or not? If he's not a captain, then none of this is relevant, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, if he is a captain, then I don't know why having uh, bait and tackle is uh, well, the other relevant. Thing is, if he is a captain, let's say because like, he's he, not going he made for a good himself. show of being Theon when he was fooling the Iron Islanders last season into capitulating. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see if he like you know if Yara wants him like puff out his chest because ultimately in the books Yara loses her bid and her uncle Euron, the guy that tossed her father off the bridge, is the one that wins. Right. Um, and in, in the books, it's just essentially Euron comes and promises to take his dragon horn, which I'm curious to see if that pops up because, you know, if, if there's no magic dragon horn, then that probably means all that stuff is bullshit. Um, right. Uh, but, but I'm curious to see, cause in the book, he blows his dragon horn and says, I'm going to take fuck, uh, all this raping and reaving. I'm going to take over all of Westeros mm-hmm. and I'm going to get these dragons and we're, I'm going to make Iron Islands great again, essentially. Yeah. And I assume, you know, he's been pirating for a while. He probably has some booty. Yeah, he's, drop been, on the he's table, been pirating all the world. Say vote for me. So, like, yeah. two, Yara and Theon's votes might not even matter at all. No, I mean, that's the thing. He has, like, twice as much loot. Yeah. And also, he's, you know, in, inflaming the Iron... Because island, Islanders have been in decline for a long time. They've been essentially a vassal state uh, and really fallen from their glory. They backed the wrong horse in Rebellion and got their asses kicked in by Ned which is how Theon got to become a hostage in Winterfell in the first place. Ah. Uh, so they're kind of smarting from all this and would like to have, you know, the idea of them ruling Westeros. Because in the uh, the, the big the castle of Harrenhal um, uh, that a lot of season two took place, where Tywin was kind of garrisoned there and Arya was a servant girl, uh, that whole area used to be ruled by the Iron Island. They had significant holdings, um, but they got thrown off of what the the mainland, and then slowly their empire dwindled until they're kind of just having their own islands at this point. Uh, let's see. So that's pretty much that. But what was I saying about the the Euron? We're going to be talking about him plenty. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see if there's the the magic horn. Um, yeah. What, what I was getting at with Theon is. If they don't want to go to Magic Horn and just like I got twice as much treasure, ha ha ha, that works in the books. Yep. I wonder if like Yara's ace in her sleeve is Theon, you know, being the son of the king and backing her, and he puffs his chest off and chest off, and he's trying to be full Theon, and then like Euron just comes and gets in his face and like crumples him because he really can't stand up to any kind that he's going to shrink and 
yeah, you know, shy away. And that would be a, like a humiliation that would sell on the show. Is anybody aware that he's around? It doesn't seem like I it. don't. That's the thing. Yeah. That's why I'm saying like be he, waiting in the wings. Right. If they want to use the Captain Theon angle. Uh-huh. So. I can see a scene where Theon's doing his thing and then Euron pulls back his hood and says, oh, yeah? Yeah, right. Well, guess who I am? And yeah, sure. And they can mix and match. Like, you know, no treasure but horn, no horn but treasure. Theon, right. I mean, it's like, who knows? But I'm, I'm kind of curious. And it seems like we're going to get to that in the next episode or two. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, so we talked about Tom and Secret. But we didn't actually talk about the secret that his he told his mother because they cut away and we didn't really analyze that very much. And there's a lot of people that had some some uh, feedback about this. It seems like there's two popular theories. One, that the secret that he was not supposed to tell his mother was the fact that Marjorie uh is going to have to have her walk and the trial's been scheduled and that's how Cersei knows about that. I think right. that's what we and assumed. It, and it might actually even be false information. Yes. Yes. And I think that that's he's what expecting we expecting Tommen to to tell her. That's what I assumed. Yeah. I know we didn't talk about it maybe because we thought that was the assumption. Uh but the other one that I thought was kind of a bomb and I don't know if I what I what I feel about it but it's interesting uh is that the high sparrow told Tommen about the Tyrell's conspiracy to kill Joff. Now, the the, okay. the the chain of custody there goes. Somehow Loris knew about that plot, which this is what I want to talk about. Somehow. The High Sparrow breaks him. Mm-hmm. The, he tells the High Sparrow, then the High Sparrow feeds this information back to Tommen, which is why he was so visibly upset when he was revealing the secret to his mother. The big question is, did Loris actually know? Because Marjorie didn't until after right. the fact. And yeah. it's not like Queen, the the, the uh, Lady Olena was like twirling her non-existent mustache and saying, we off Joff. It was kind of like all like, oh, yes, dear. Don't, you know, don't don't be too uh, shrinking violet about this. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how Loris would know unless off screen. And again, I wanted to look this up, but I got this theory yesterday evening. I've been sick and I You'd have to literally watch like six hours of television to catch the one or two lines where this might have come to light. Right. But if he knows, and that's kind of a hot theory, because mm-hmm. that would that would piss off Cersei and would explain, you know, it, it, it would set the fact that she's trying to hornswoggle the Tyrells into doing something stupid. It would make a lot. I mean, it makes a lot of sense anyway, but this would add the cherry on top of that conspiracy Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And it. it... I don't know. I right. It doesn't seem like she needs any more motivation necessarily to to throw the Tyrells under the bus. No, but uh, that would for maybe a civil war or something. Like, right. I, I. But you're right. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know it how Cersei would, could contain that anger. It would frankly. Al- it would also explain why Jamie would be gung ho. I mean, I don't. I don't think we need to explain that either. No. I I, I get motivations even without this stuff. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it's not a bad angle. Yeah. My gut says just, I don't know how Loras would know. Right, and and that's the thing, and like if you know for a fact that he did, um, you know, Game of Thrones at BaldMove dot com, send it in, and uh, mm-hmm. 
we'll talk about it. But uh, I just my gut says he doesn't know. And yep. why now the other thing is if Marjorie was indeed broken by the state of her brother, mm-hmm. um, maybe she says it. But that seems like I mean, there's different degrees of broken, and she didn't seem. Like, maybe she's to the point that she just wants us over with, but why she would implicate her entire family and reach aside, which... Yeah, and I think I think they'd have to also be playing with the timeline a bit to do that. Yeah. Because I think the scenes with Tommen telling Cersei about the secret come before Marjorie I, and Loras meet. Oh, and she sees how broken that. Loras is. I don't know about that. I, I, I don't remember it's exactly. It's one of those things but... where it's like, that's a pre- it's fresh in my mind, and I watched it again yet today, but uh-huh. like I couldn't tell you which one came five minutes before the <laughs> right. you know? Right. Uh, let's see. Oh, Dan from Indy. This is a bomb. I'm going to read it on the non-spoiler podcast, too, because it's not a spoiler, but it's fucking awesome, and I want to get it out there quick. Uh, please tell me I'm not the only one who thinks that Littlefinger saying to Robin about his new gift falcon, come and see, is no coincidence. Hmm, where else do we hear those words over and over again this episode? Maybe the pink letter should actually be called the pinky letter because I'm pretty sure it came from Littlefinger. <laughs> that's a because we that's something that we kind of speculated as a likely theory, and it would be just like the Double D's who did write this episode to drop that for an astute fan. That that's a very peculiar phrase, like a biblical, you yeah. know, it's. Kind of a lyrical thing, and for him to say it earlier in the episode, I think that is pretty clever. Yeah, I, I like when they use parallels and language to indicate plot relevance. Yes, um, and I I know that has happened before in this series. I think, uh, but yeah, I I mean I'm all on board with the theory that Littlefinger actually sent that letter, even though I don't have a ton to support it. I had a pretty clean episode last uh, spoiler cast. I didn't get a lot of corrections. Um, I do have some people that were had some comments about it. The broom person said. Aaron, I'd like to hear why you think the Dorne plot in the book is so terrible. I agree that Quentin, the Quentin plot ends up nowhere, but Ariane is interesting in reference to a possible deal or marriage alliance being brokered between her and Aegon in Storm's End. Also, I love the Queenmaker plot and the Dark Star plot. I think it's very fucking cool. Uh, we actually get to see Ario Hota use that badass axe, and there's all this intrigue involving who Dark Star works for, the Sand Snakes or Doran or, or, Doran or someone else. And whether or not Marcella is really alive anymore or if they're covering it up and how Cersei will react when she finds out her daughter has been maimed or killed. Okay. Um, first of all, I love Ariel Hota. In fact, I the last D&D campaign I played with the guys from Personal Arrogance, uh, I essentially lifted that character from the books, changed his name. I even <laughs> used his fucking backstory about being sold and mm-hmm. wedded to his axe and all that stuff to roll like a, a barbarian human character. Uh, so I would, I thought he was, he's great. Um, the whole darks, I, here, here's my problem with it. Um, it feels to me like Martin in the second book set up all these crazy details with Danny's prophecies when she went to the house of the undying and she saw all these crazy visions and then Martin had all these ideas of how, oh, there's going to be the Mummer's Dragon and this and that. And then when he starts to make good on those, it just spirals. He's a gardener and the shit gets away from him. <laughs> and it just feels like all of this stuff is an enormous dead ends to make the prophecies work so he can fulfill the promise of the second book. You know? And hmm. that's, I guess that's my chief frustration is uh, these books deal a lot with the Ironborn, which is the other plot that I don't really give a shit about because there again, it feels a little like that's a kind of going to be a dead end because I just, 
I just can't see Euron other than getting ships to Danny and the Victorian plot. I just don't see it going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be yet another because Danny has to. There's you, you, and by the way, I say this on most podcasts, but if you want to know more about the Danny's prophecies, you sh- I did a deep dive on it in one of the past episodes. You can go to the archive that's linked in the show notes and look up Danny's prophecies, and I talk about this. But uh, part of the prophecy is she's got like three mounts to ride, three um, be- uh, beds to be carried to, three loves, three betrayals. There's all these things that she has to go through, and people hmm. are sifting through and seeing like which one fits what. And I feel like that this Victorian thing is just to check off one of the marriages that she has to go through to get to her whatever end game to make the prophecy fit. Gotcha. So it's like that one prophecy feels like it's spun off 75% of these plots. And since part of the structure of the prophecy is that these are essentially dead ends and false things, why do I care? (laughs) I mean, it's a really cool concept. And if this was to be dealt with in like a half a book's time, it would be very cool. The problem is it's exploded into like 2000 pages of bullshit. Uh, and I, I use, is that why we haven't seen a ton of that in the show itself? I think so. And that's like I was I was shocked when we got the Iron Island plot back in in this season because mm-hmm. I just felt like since we didn't really deal with it and kind of the Theon and Yara stuff got tied up neatly last season that I thought they were just going to streamline that. And I'm like, all right, good. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more significant than I thought, but most of it is just my experience of reading Feast – and dance was Jesus Christ. When can I get back to Brian, Jamie, or uh, uh, or Arya? Okay, like you know who this Arian? I don't give a shit. It's and and again, like on second and third reads, it's become more interesting. And I want to get back to Danny, but Danny just spent so much time doing nothing. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of why I'm biased against that. There are these new characters and stuff that you know. Oh, revenge for. Uh, you know, uh, Prince Oberyn, I was initially invested, but I don't know, man. It just didn't work for me. And I, I, I the stuff with the Dark Star, the Queenmaker plot. So this, so, so he's what he's referencing is the in the book. There's the rebellion against Doran involved kidnapping Marcella and trying to name her as queen. Hmm. Uh, you know, to take a political coup that way and get popular support in people. Um. And that's foiled by Doran himself. He sends his guardsman, Ario Hota, who ends up putting that down. And Marcella takes a like a, a sword wound to the face and maybe killed, definitely maimed. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God, what are we going to do with the Lannisters about that? And Doran throws them all in prison. And he gives this big speech about, no, I've got, you know, I've got this. I've got this long-term revenge. And this is something that me and Oberyn worked out. 20 years ago, as soon as this shit happened, and you guys are just fucking impatient, and you're fucking up my shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, that's he's dead in the show, so... Right. Even if you were excited about the Quentin who gets burnt to death and Ariana being perhaps married off to a fake Targaryen, Aegon, and now with the show saying that ultimately this stuff isn't going to matter, I don't mm-hmm. know. So that's the, I would say, short version but it felt pretty long version of why i don't like the dorn stuff in the books uh can i throw something out there about the ironborn plot please do you think there's any chance that this is a way to get the dragon horn into danny's hands because she doesn't seem to have a great and also in the show to get these boats back to her uh yes 
the, the, the boats, boats are certainly. absolutely cru- crucial. Right. Super she needs crucial. those. Uh, she's got a lot of troops to transport. Uh-huh. Uh, is it because she doesn't have a great control over her dragons at the moment? No, she does like not. Drogon's out flying around doing whatever. Now the other two are like if she had a way to kind of you know regroup everybody yeah with this dragon horn no she had like Maybe a dog be... whistle for her dragons that would be exactly super useful and yes i think that i mean yeah so when he's put it that way it seems like the ironborn are super critical to that's the what i mean that's why they're coming back but like, on the other hand it seems like there was a lot of other ways that you could get that to go like oh certainly Syrian yeah has all this knowledge of dragons but, the, the, but and... they have a loose end of theon right like what's he gonna do now yeah if if not go and do this thing except uh, for that's a, the, in the books theon's you know he's not what involved he with sansa he helped the fake aria escape the clutches of uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh the, the 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 boltons and he right. is right now in the camp with stannis who is yet to march on winterfell so it's like okay i'm useless for telling you what the hell they, right. the books are going to do with theon well shit now there uh, is this yeah. kind of theory about uh, shit. I forget what it's called. Um, like it's called like Theon the Latecomer or something. Mm-hmm. About that, if there's going to be this disaster, you because know, uh, so Euron sends his brother Victorian across the sea with a, hundreds of ships, or right. maybe a hundred ships, and we've never even met Victorian. Is that right? Uh, so popular theory is just so you know that he's going to be rolled into Yara. That Yara is going to be doing everything that Victorian oh. does in the books. Which I thought seems I thought there was a lot economical. of I thought there was a lot of stuff around Theon maybe also doing that. Mm, well, yes, there is, but I actually kind of after I've read some of these theories, I kind of like the idea that Yara is going to be because in the books, Victorian as he's sailing away, he feels like he was the right, he was the better king anyway, and the Eurons is ah, kind of okay. like doesn't have respect for their religion and yep. doesn't have respect for their traditions and he if starts he is bro- the drowned god that's, he, he starts brooding yeah. on it he has like a near-death experience with a, a red priest that kind of helps save his life and he gets this crazy fucking molten arm and he starts thinking that i should be the one that why am i going to go and carry this bride if i carry the bride off she'll be my bride and i've got the fucking horn and uh, it's going to where the the Victorian is going to stab Euron in the back. Which what the hell happens then? I I, I don't know because mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of where we it, he hasn't even arrived. Danny at the books. Um, so Yara has a lot of the same. You can tell that she's got the same chips on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. And now and it's also would kind of be an interesting twist to have Yara make a marriage proposal to Danny. <laughs> And someone That'd said, someone yeah. said, and I didn't see this, but someone said in one of the tr- promo trailers that there's a scene of her like kissing one of the whores in Essos on the mouth, like she's like carousing with them for an upcoming episode. Yeah, okay. that this is a scene from not not an upcoming, like just was a preseason trailer, like one of those smash like half second cuts that they use in between percussion. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that, but if true, I, that would be kind of a cool gender bin, and it would be. I don't know. I think it would be interesting mm-hmm. to have her make the proposal. Yeah. Um, but so where was I going with all this? Uh, just who might, ah. uh, you know, bring the horn down there, who might be the Victorian yeah. stand in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're right. I mean, the way the thing, the way Martin has chosen to, to, to tell the story, it does seem like the Iron Islanders are pretty critical. But I always yeah. thought one of the things, uh, one of the cool theories I thought was maybe they're going to roll like some of those roles into Jorah and Tyrion. Mm-hmm. There's this popular Jorah, the Explorer 
theory that we did last year where it's like, you know, we knew he's going to sail through the broken lands and mm-hmm. maybe him and Tyrion come across an artifact and maybe he brings it to Danny and that's how he gets. Well, that never happened, but nope. there's other ways what I was getting at without the Greyjoys and their, th- you know, we already had the hundred ships. We just needed fucking Dragonhorn. Could we get the fucking Dragonhorn some other way? But no, right. it doesn't look like it. Uh, TFN85 said, thoughts on the born under a bleeding star part of the prince who has promised prophecy. Talked about this last week and how the uh, uh, Sir Arthur Dane sword dripping with blood going up the stairs held by Ned could fulfill that prophecy for John. Mm-hmm. He says, there are many different theories tossed around on your last podcast of this part and how it could be fulfilled for John. And it got me thinking, could it be as simple as him just being born in Dorne? That is, if R plus L equals J is true, which we all seem to think. We know the Tower of D- Joy is in Dorne and that the House Martell rules over the land. House Martell's banner is a red sun pierced with a spear. Could it be that it is the bleeding star? We know suns are just stars, and being pierced with a spear causes bleeding. You got Okay. Thought, I mean... Sure, that my, doesn't my sound is, wrong. Does the Westerosi know that the sun is a star? Because that's a fairly modern <laughs> cosmological view of things. Right. It's a very non non-human centric and you could peel it back another level which is do the deities that inspire prophecy in westeros consider the sun a star like i mean you've already got the 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 sword of the morning which is dawn uh which is covered in blood which is made from a meteorite i mean you've already you got you got tons of bleeding stars here that you could work with so Mm -hmm. uh if that's yet another one you want to consider i'm i'm cool with it um, but I like I like the idea. Uh, Angry Glenn from Chicago chimed in. More info on Germ's Bill Belichick reference to Aaron mentioned in the last podcast. This is a direct quote from A Dance of Dragons, Chapter 33, Tyrion, Chapter 8. Uh, uh, so Bill Belichick, and, and the quote is, Belicho was a renowned Valentine patriot whose famous exploits are recorded in the series oh The God. Life of the Triarch Belicho. His unbroken succession of conquests and triumphs ended rather abruptly when he's eaten by giants. And, of course, we know <laughs> oh that uh, you know, the giants went against the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl, beat them both times. And this was George Martin essentially beating his chest about it in his own book, which is pretty sick. That's, yeah. If you're okay. a sports fan. I'm not a sports fan, but that's still pretty good. That's pretty sweet. You yeah. got you got the 1-1, uh, and now you got the Bill Belichick being eaten by giants. So pretty <laughs> fucking funny. Colin from Brooklyn said, I have a theory for your tinfoil section. It's regards to Danny's endgame, and I believe it can be summed up in a single word, Parliament. Now, I'm going to shove you a piece of dry pie in your mouth right there, Colin, because that was a big drum I was beating last season. Yeah. And we haven't talked about it this season, but I had this kind of people ask me, what is the endgame? And, you know, whether it's going to be Danny sitting on the throne or John marrying Danny or what. And I said, if Danny truly wants to break the wheel, the, the way to do that and to, you know, ensure that you can't have tyrants like her father, the Mad King, ruling over a weak, fleeced populace is to introduce some form of Republican democracy or mm-hmm. parliamentary democracy the way they have in, like, the United Kingdom. Um, so you'd set – you'd have, like, a House of Commons and a House of Lords and they would be – and and they would rule by the assent of Danny or whoever's on the Iron Throne. But yeah. they would actually be answerable to the people. Um, I assume it would be very primitive form. Going sure. back to the Romans. Sure. That type of thing. Yeah. Or like Magna Carta plus maybe. But right. what do you think of that idea? As, is that too 
modern of an ending for a fantasy series? It feels a little too modern for me, but that's not to say it can't happen. I mean, it, it, you're right. If she wants to break the wheel, she can't just leave it to the same system that they've had for Because that's the thing. Ages. She dies. Let's say John right. Danny or whoever's ruling her great. And the next person to come along fucks it all up. Exactly. The only way to do undo that is to have some kind of de- democracy put into place. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, a good thought, Colin, and it's something that we talked about a good deal in last season's podcast. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off badass season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Hey, everybody, it's time for me to sing for my supper. Talk to the extolled virtues of club.baldmove.com. Uh, so if you go to club.baldmove.com, for as little as a buck a month, you get a whole bunch of bonus features, including ad-free feeds of our podcast, which, you know, if you get sick of our ads, great way to make them go away. Uh, got bonus content. If you just uh, enjoy Jim and I as personalities, we do several bonus features like uh, lunch with Jim and Aaron on uh, Friday afternoons and cocktails with Jim and Aaron on the rocks. He's fucking up our own branding. Lauded as one of our most enjoyable shows on on Tuesday evenings where we mix up a new drink and we just talk about stuff. And we have a Q&A app so you can uh, log in and directly interface with us and talk to us about whatever. And we also make those as podcasts, too, but they're also a live video feature. Uh, some things of Game of Thrones interest. We're going to be playing through the Telltale last chapter of the Forester Saga uh, here in the weeks to come. And we also have another special project. Uh, can I actually talk about this? Yeah. Yeah, we're going out. We sat down and we played through the uh, Blackwater epic battle version of the Battles of Westeros Fantasy Flight board game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tabletop. First, first battle of that? The first... Yeah. Jim was Lannisters and I was the, the forces of righteousness, the Baratheons. We'll see if it goes how it does in the books and the show. Uh, but that's... And we do a lot of other fun stuff. Uh, 
we've got this quip thing where we pitch fake TV shows of each other. Uh, you know, you can watch the live podcast. So like, if you want to get the instant podcast right away, you can right after show, you can watch us record it and kind of get plugged in that way. Or if you're at work and you're waiting Tuesday afternoon for the podcast release, we record that thing like one o'clock. It doesn't come out till four. You get it three hours early if you want. Uh, all at club.baldmove.com. Don't forget about our Gravedigger t-shirt. Uh, the, uh, as, uh, sorry, the rest in peace, uh, mildly interesting t-shirt. Gravedigger yes. t-shirt. Uh, check it out at gravedigger.baldmove.com if you want to look at it. It's designed by... It's designed by me and Jim, but it was executed by our uh, buddy Eric Walquist from Personal Arrogance and Direct Podcast fame. He's a really good graphic designer. He helped us out on that, and I think it's a cool-looking T-shirt. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, lots of cool stuff. Uh, but, yeah, club.baldmove.com is where you want to go if you want extra content and help support us. Uh, this cold medication ain't paying for itself. Uh, and thank you for all that do support. And also, if you're one of the... Supporters that are not on the ad-free feeds because whatever reason you can't figure out how quite to get it to work with your podcast uh, or whatever. Uh, we actually added some technical support documents that walk you through adding the feed to every major podcast app and platform, iTunes and Android and Windows even, I think. Um, yeah, it's on your uh, account page. If you go to your account page, you can actually, if you're one of the ones listening to this because, hey, you know, the ads or whatever, and I just haven't figured it out yet, uh, we got some mm-hmm. good information. We're also standing by to help you. So uh just want to get that out because if you're an ad-free person and you still listen to ads, something has gone wrong. There's no reason that should happen. Unless you like our ads. Some people like, you know, I know some of them are more entertaining than others. Yeah. Uh, but uh, some people like, don't mind listening to ads, and God bless you. So uh, that's it, club.ballmove.com. Thanks for your support. Okay, this is an extremely long theory, um, but it's super interesting, and it weaves together a lot of details from the books that uh, I haven't seen kind of anywhere in, into a show format, so you'll have to bear with me. And, and believe it or not, I actually cut this down by about half. Let's see if my voice holds out. Zach G says the theory with the potential deaths of Cersei, Kevin, Tommen, Marjorie, Loras, Mace, and Olenna at the hands of the faith militant, the high sparrow will consolidate the power of the seven with that of the iron throne and declare himself King. Get out of here. They're not going to win this. Now here's the deal. I don't know about his final conclusion. We'll talk about that at the end, but I like the, the mechanics of this theory. Okay. Uh, I don't buy his initial premise that they're going to win this this battle okay so here's how he's going to explain it he's got a couple of book facts that have not occurred in the series yet uh which is we talked we've alluded to this all this stuff before one jamie is sent to the riverlands with the lannister army to augment house Frey's troops which are already laying siege to the house uh to the seat of house tully uh so that's the castle where um uh cat is from it's also her uncle the blackfish it's where he's at uh, okay. And in the books, that was still loyal to King Rob. It's still flying the Stark flag, and Jamie's mission is to go there and to break that siege and, and bring that land under to the king's justice. Uh, his second uh, um, uh, leg is that Euron has made king of the Iron Islands an upcoming king's mood. So let's talk about both of those. As it presently stands, Marjorie and Loras Tyrell, King Tommen's wife and brother-in-law, respectively, are in prison in the Great Sept of Baelor and awaiting trial by the High Sparrow. While King Tommen's mother, Cersei, is living in the Red Keep on parole. King Tommen has tried at least two times, both unsuccessfully, to assert his authority over the High Sparrow over the last two seasons. On both occasions, Tommen yields to the High Sparrow. 
King's Landing isn't the place where the meek or wise people live long, especially if they're unwilling or unable to balance wisdom and desire for peace with the ruthlessness required of a ruler. The high sparrow and the faith of the seven are wielding power they haven't wielded for hundreds of years. With Cersei's, Loras, and Marjorie's death seemingly more and more of an inevitability, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the crown's strength is crippled to such a degree that the high sparrow arrests or executes Tommen and crowns himself king. I just, I just don't buy that premise. Well, so I don't know I'll why Cersei's reading. in trouble here. Okay. I'll keep reading. In a feast for crows, Cersei sends Jaime and a large force of Lannister soldiers to the Riverlands to aid the Freys in quashing Brendan Blackfish Tully's doomed attempt to hold down Riverrun. If Jaime is at the head of a Lannister army hundreds of miles away in the Riverlands, the crown will be hard-pressed to protest any potential death sentences handed down for Cersei, Marjorie, and Loras. Indeed, in the books, mm-hmm. Cersei writes to Jaime an impassioned letter to please come and save my ass from this impending trial by combat, okay. and Jaime crumples it up and throws it in a fire because he's done with her. Well, that's, yeah, okay, that's different. Uh, But what about Mace Tyrell and the Tyrell army camped outside King's Landing, you say? At the very least, won't they be able to stop the High Sparrow from killing Loras, Marjorie, and possibly Tommen? If things play out like they do in the books, Mace Tyrell and all the troops uh, with the Reach will be riding to recapture Old Town from the Ironborn and Euron Greyjoy. Because of his next leg, what? which is Euron will be crowned king of the Iron Islands at an upcoming king's moot in a platform of not just taking back the north or solidifying House Greyjoy's position on the Iron Islands, but of conquering all of Westeros. In the books, Euron bolsters this promise by claiming he will conquer Westeros the same way the Targaryens did with dragons. He brings out one of his crew members, has him blow this enormous jet black horn, yada, yada, yada. It kills him. Yep. Uh, so his Leron's plan is twofold. Part one is to send his Iron Fleet to Marine to rescue or carry off Danny and her three dragons and claim Danny as his wife and queen. With the dragon binder horn, even the dragon's connection to Danny as their mother won't be able to break his control of the dragons. Part two, he begins destabilization of Westeros' biggest, richest, and most plentiful kingdom, the Reach, and its biggest city, Old Town. Which is where, where the Citadel is, going. which is yeah. also where Sam's going, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. In the books, Euron and the Ironborn capture the Shield Islands, which are the bulwark against the invasion of the Reach by sea, and send several successful raiding parties up the Mander River, one of the largest in the Reach. Later, we find out the Ironborn have engaged in several skirmishes with the Old Town City Watch. These attacks have been repulsed so far, but an invasion of Old Town and the rest of Reach after that seems imminent. Uh, side prediction time. Euron and the Iron Ironborn will attack and capture Old Town later this season. This, in turn, will cause the Reach to send a force of troops to retake Old Town. In the books, the majority, though not all, of the Reach's troops are outside King's Landing under the command of Mace Tyrell and Randall Tarly, which I think is true in the show too, because that's what that's what Kevin uh, alluded to is he'd have to stand down to let them into the city, right? Uh, and if their images of Jamie and Mace at the head of a large army shown in the trailer bear out, this will be the way it goes in the show as well. With a majority of the Crown's troops invested in Riverrun and attempting to retake Old Town, it leaves the capital city with a diminished force, meaning its defenses will be weakened. This is where the High Sparrow comes in. All of this is building to a situation where Cersei's trial... Uh, will occur after the Lannister and Tyrell troops have left King's Landing, leaving Cersei, Tommen, and the rest of Lannisters and Tyrells with a diminished garrison. Now, you may be thinking even diminished force of the Lannister and Tyrell soldiers outfitted in full plate and mail should be able to hold off the unarmored sparrows. However, in the books, these aren't the only armed regiment of the Faith Militant. There is a knight by the name of Sir Bonifer the Hasty who leads a detachment of 87 armored knights known for poetic 
reasons as the Holy Hundred, which haven't been introduced or even mentioned in the show, but would be easy for the Double Ds to introduce at, uh, through a couple of episodes before Cersei's trial and for the High Sparrow to call upon them to reinforce the warrior's sons holding King's Landing. Assuming Cersei loses her trial and is sentenced to death, it wouldn't be surprising for Tommen to attempt to stop the Faith from carrying out Cersei's death sentence. If Tommen does try to intervene personally, for which, by, for purposes of this theory, I'm going to assume he does, he will most likely be arrested and condemned to death himself. In either case, the Iron Throne would be vacant and anyone would be hard-pressed to stop the High Sparrow and the Faith Militant. I think if the High Sparrow will consolidate the power of the Seven with the power of the Iron Throne and declare himself the new king of the Seven Kingdoms... Hypocrite. In conclusion, GRRM Germ is quoted as saying the Iron Throne will change hands at least one more time in the books before the end, with the best candidates in the book being Fake Aegon or Aegon. I should, I'm probably tipping the scales by calling him Fake Aegon. Uh, and or Euron. And it makes sense that this will be true in the show as well. Even though the Double Ds have put a 15-episode cap on the remaining uh, Game of Thrones series, it stands a reason Tommen won't be on the Iron Throne with Danny, John, or the White Walkers reach King's Landing. All okay. right. Before I talk about my own spin, because I don't agree with this conclusion that the High Septon is just going to put the crown on his head. Um, but do you, do you do you see how this theory tracks pretty clean? Yeah. Uh, so there's a reason why. So at the beginning of this, I was absolutely unconvinced. Like, there's nothing to say so was I. that Cersei or Tommen would be killed. Yeah. Um, because it's not happened yet. In right. the show, right? Like, so much of this stuff in the books has happened in a different order. Like, if, if yep. Jamie's out and, like, you can see kind of the writing on the wall where there may not be enough troops and you can see other forces in movement here, uh, I think it makes a lot more sense now that he's explained what's happened in the books. Yeah. We just haven't seen... Exactly. Like, those breadcrumbs haven't been dropped yet exactly. in the show. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if they're going to go that way and there's, you know, no guarantee they will or won't... Yeah then, yeah, that seems plausible. I, it actually feels fairly satisfying that toward the end of this thing, we'd get some kind of major clash of forces here, and and that that would be kind of the downfall, is that they just spread themselves a little too thin. And that's They the, maybe make the wrong call sending forces somewhere. They're, they're planning on something, and a third party comes in and fucks Absolutely. Them, which it's is... It's just like Silicon Valley this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got that far. Pretty I'm, much. I'm one down. But yeah, no, I think it's it, and it's great because it uses a bunch of details in the books that haven't been introduced, but it's all plausible and it sounds like something the show might do. Yeah, and also fits with stuff we know in the trailers. Uh, as far as why Jamie would have because the other thing is like, you know, if the if if the largest city in the Reach gets attacked, you know why the Tyrells would spin their forces down. Mm-hmm. But why would Jamie be willing to do this or Kevin when you know the Queen Mother's on the line? Matt from Chicago has an idea of why Jamie and Cersei might be on the outs. He says in the books during the escape from King's Landing, Tyrion tells Jamie about Cersei's many infidelities. This revelation plays over and over again in Jamie's mind, driving him further away from Cersei. Because in the book, Jamie loves Cersei, and he's the she's the only woman he's ever loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, this never happens in the show, in which it conversely appears that Jamie and Cersei's relationship is becoming even stronger since Jamie's return to King's Landing. Uh, this discrepancy has been mentioned several times in the podcast. What if the wedge between Jamie and Cersei is necessary for the overall plot? And if so, I think the Double Ds may use Cersei's trial as a vehicle through which Jamie comes to learn about Cersei's additional transgressions. So these facts, okay. these new, this new shit comes to light during Cersei's trial. It mm-hmm. disgusts Jamie, and then he's like, "Well, fuck it, I'm riding out. I don't give a shit about this anymore." 
Uh, maybe, but where's he riding out to? It'd have like, to be to save old Dan's ass, or or to combat Dorn in the field, maybe yeah. a little further south. Uh, yeah, it's true because it could be a, a, a it could be a Marcella. It could be that the yeah. Tyrells got hey, we got problems back in reach. The Lannisters have to go deal with the Dornishmen, yeah. which leaves King's Landing ripe for the High Sparrows taking. Now, I don't like the idea of the High Sparrow sitting on the throne. I think it's that's. He would be crazy. A well, it's a crazy breach of everything, right? What there is precedent is like a puppet king in the form of King Baylor, where you have a the zeal of a convert, and you sit this like because in, in in this stage of Game of Thrones, you've got a situation where the High Sparrow has traditionally been a puppet of the king. What could they put Lancel on the throne? I, that was my first thought, okay. but I don't see how you know. The, the the idea that the, the the faith of the seven has to uphold the king and part of that is the tradition of genealogy and heraldry and all that stuff. Um, I had a crazy thought of like, what if it's Gendry? Okay, well, he'd have to he show back wrong. up at some point. Yeah, but I I mean he's been somewhere, and uh-huh. I think that if if I don't know how the High Sparrow would know that he was the son of King Robert. But it would be interesting because this guy's a common born. He's a bastard. He's just just the type of candidate the High Sparrow would like to put up there and prop up and be a yes man. It could be it it could actually be Tommen now. Maybe how he kills Cersei and Marjorie and (laughs) I mean doesn't alienate Tommen. Tommen would have to be really fucking brainwashed. Which he's a young kid and the High Sparrow is doing a pretty good job of mind fucking Mm -hmm. him anyway. Uh. Any what, other candidates? You what can if think what of? if he what if he pardons that, Marjorie in yes. exchange for a little puppetry? And, and over what Tommen. if what uh, if, look? We got to kill your mom. We got to kill Lena. What if Cersei? What if Cersei confesses to all this in court or is accused? And Tom is kind of disgusted with his mother. And the High Sparrow is like, "Look, your mother has done too much bad shit, but you know Marjorie's a good girl and she's wanting to change. We'll let you have Marjorie, but right?" We got, like I could see that. That could be the. That could be. She could be the pawn that the High Sparrow needs to get control over Tommen. Honestly, yeah. But then I think it'd be a war of Marjorie versus the High Sparrow because Marjorie's no slouch. Well, sure. In that area, and that's might be where the High Sparrow has bit off more than he can chew. The High Sparrow might talked... have the king's ear, but she's got other parts of it. <laughs> yes, wrapped around her. That we've her seen her use various appendages. Yeah. And the other thing is, he's also laid the seeds for like you know that the you know marriage is a holy thing and it's uh, sacred and people shouldn't get in between that. So hmm. I, there's a lot. Like I said, I don't know about his in game prediction, but I really like the mechanics of this, and yep. it really smooths a lot of things out from what the hell's going on in the books versus the show in a pretty satisfying way. All right, I know that was long, but I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, Doug L is taking the idea of time traveling brand to a very extreme level. Oh boy. says essentially this idea is a causality loop. Brandon Stark is alleged to be the first Stark who raised the wall in Winterfell many thousands of years ago. The brand, the builder from the, the legends of old. Mm-hmm. But what if brand Stark becomes powerful enough to travel back and become Brandon Stark and thus become his own ancestor mm-hmm. with the show seemingly confirming when well, I'll back up a bit and say suggesting his ability to at least influence the past, it's an interesting tinfoil idea. And he linked me to an article from uh, the uh, uh, A Song of Ice and Fire website, the kind of unofficial wiki. And this is a theory from the forums back from 2014. And I got to say that 
the whole theory is based on the idea that Bran, as a boy, knew Winterfell like the back of his hand. Okay. Uh, he they, he mentions uh, someone mentions that he knew every stone. Uh, that Bran, in his head, imagines that he's the true Lord of Winterfell because he has this unusual connection to it, and he mentions it in a way he's connected in a way that even his father and Rob, who are the 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 Lord and heir. Uh, couldn't imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's this quote from uh, a Game of Thrones chapter 24, Bran part four, uh, where it says, thousands and thousands of years ago, Bran and the Builder had raised Winterfell and some said the wall. Bran knew the story, but it had never been his favorite. Maybe one of the other Brandons had liked the story. Sometimes Nan would talk to him as though he were her Brandon, the baby she'd nursed all those years ago. And sometimes she's confused him with his uncle Brandon, who was killed by the Mad King before Bran was even born. She had lived so long, Mother had told him once, that all the Brandon Starks had become one person in her head. Suggesting that perhaps Bran is all Brands of all times. Um, And that's essentially, like, there's a lot of other kind of... um, meta reasons why the guy likes the theory and there's a lot of the stuff where we've already talked about about you know all the parts in the book where Bran tries to communicate with someone and fails I don't know I mean this is the logical conclusion or maybe the uh, what, what do you call that argument uh, by absurdity this is the absurd this is the absurd end to the Bran the originator theory sure yeah yeah but I wanted to get it out there just in case anyone else found it interesting. I Again, uh, I will link the full theory in the show notes, um, the thread to it. But I found the foundations pretty flimsy. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, Bran, you know, if, if you're a, a time-traveling do-gooder, maybe do some do some more good. Like... Does all this death and suffering, this war for the the Iron Throne, really need to happen in the first place? Can you make things? Well, that's the whole that's the whole idea of the causality loop. Is like you can't, you know, kind of you can't change the things you can't change. It's like you know, we just watched Donnie Darko, and I imagine it's a similar kind of state that where that it's like, yeah, I mean, it depends on what way they go with time travel. If they go uh, with time travel, if they're even going with time travel, but I sure, but. Certainly interesting, and one of those things where it's got a surprising amount of textual support, but it's fairly anecdotal and, uh, um, you know, non-empirical support. Julie G says, you guys were discussing the implications of Bran being able to possibly see, uh, speak to people through the trees or the wind, like John and the direwolves. The phrase that popped in my head was, words are wind. It's something that George Martin uses again and again and again. That's like a watchword in his books. What if Martin hid that clue in what seemed like yet another one of his overused cliches? Saucy. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's one of those things where it's like words are wind could be just a express. That's essentially saying talk is cheap. It's right. The Westerosi version of saying that. Um, but if literally the words are wind coming from brand coming from the trees, I don't know. And if that's the only way in which he can influence the past through verbal communication on the yeah. wind, uh, maybe there's reasons why he doesn't do more, mm-hmm. uh, like I was talking about. But yeah, that's the thing. Like I've never understood whether he—that's just to indicate that he's such a powerful green seer that he's so powerful he can actually be heard through time, or whether that's something that any sufficiently powerful green seer, including the three-eyed raven, could do. But there's like a rule against it. Like you're not—it's like you're not supposed to go and uh, 
meet your past self or whatever because the universe could explode or, or whatever Doc Martin said. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see. Um, and again, I'm not I'm not terribly excited about this the potential of time travel, but I'm certainly not against it because like yeah, it's kind of as I said my jam. I like a good time travel paradox story. Yeah, um, not sure about mixing it up in my epic fantasy. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, let's see. Buddy C said, one thing I wanted to, uh, haven't heard anyone mention, but I want to throw out there. Arya could potentially get two names crossed off her list because of her non-actions. Arya's list no longer had the hound on it as she realizes she didn't want him to die. She left him to die, but she didn't kill himself. This leads probably to his spiritual renewal and eventually fight with his brother in the ball. Anyway, um... In doing this, if the Hound defeats his brother, then Arya's mercy will have actually crossed two names off her list. Cersei and the Mountain. By not killing the Hound, she sets in motion a string of events that eventually gets a two-for-one off her list. What do you think of that concept? How is Cersei going to get killed? So you spare... It's the logical outcome of the of the Mountain losing his trial. Oh, okay. So Mountain gotcha. fights for Cersei, the Hound fights but for the But then how the is the Hound going to die? The hound's not. The hound kills okay. the mountain. He's just a lovable guy all of a sudden. Although, and so Arya doesn't. Want although to kill him. it could happen if you want to make it mere, just like Oberyn. Maybe the hound right. is mortally wounded in the fight. They both die, but the hound is the victor. Cersei's condemned to death. Bam! You got a clean sweep. Yeah. So Arya's mercy actually serves the god of death better than just her going after him. Could be. Uh, that was an interesting theory. Uh, Connor OB wanted to share a crazy meta realization about the Tower of Joy that he found on Reddit, um, which was by Controv T. Uh, says, all right, in the latest episode, Bran visited the Tower of Joy. In the start of the series, Jon Snow is 17 years old in show canon, so Robert's Rebellion and the fight at the Tower of Joy happened 17 years ago. Gurm said the time that has passed from a Game of Thrones to a Dance of Dragons is around three years. We can assume this is for the show at the end of season five as well. This means that when Bran sees the flashback of the Tower of Joy, he sees something that has happened nearly 20 years ago. The crazy thing is, in A Game of Thrones was published in 1996, also 20 years ago. This book had the Tower of Joy scene portrayed in Oathbreaker, uh, which is even more crazy for those who actually read it 20 years ago when it came out. In this episode, Bran sees something that happened 20 years ago, and we as viewers did as well. Does that blow your mind? <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> I mean, it's it's an accident. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's an it's an accidental thing, but it's a nice round number, and you know it's it's kind of cool that it lines up at the time. The, it's the also show's timeline. Assuming R plus L equals J, but yeah, that's I think that's an assumption. I'm like I'm I was ninety nine percent sure. Now I'm ninety nine point nine percent. Yeah, it's approaching a probability of one. Uh, Matt for Chicago says in the books during his escape from King's Landing, Ty- Tyrion tells James. Oh wait, I just I. Served you a piece of dry pie. Cause a causality loop, because I already read that email. Uh, Daniel B. says, I've got a quick question for you regarding the impact of the Book of Stranger on the R plus L equals J theory. It seems to be implied that Targaryens are fireproof, with Danny surviving significant fires on two separate occasions with not a scratch on her. But flashback to season one, when Jon's hand was burned when saving the Lord Commander from the reanimated body brought back to Castle Black. Does this mean that he isn't a Targaryen? Uh, no, so... I don't know that it's fair to assume that all Targaryens are fireproof. Yes. Danny is 100%. Yes, in the show. Right. So I don't know that that 
excludes John as a Targaryen just because his hand got burned. Because her brother Viserion, which we know is a full-blooded Targaryen, right. died from molten gold. Yeah. Uh, Aegon V died at the fire in Summerhall. Arian Blight, Bright Flame tried to rekindle dragons by drinking wildfire, and he burned to death. <laughs> sure, okay. So there's lots of Targaryens right. that have gone up in smoke. I think it's just Danny. I think it's just Danny. Now, I don't know why it's just... That's the oh, thing. Yeah. Why Why is this happening? Like, I bought it in the, the at, at first because, well, it's blood magic, whatever. You know, why did the dragons hatch? Who the fuck knows? Mm-hmm. Um... Now that it's like a power that she just has, which also is annoying because now it's like it seems like the strategy is just to, and it'd be badass is have her walk yeah. right up to King's Landing in a carpet of dragon fire, uh-huh. go right up to the Nothing can touch Iron her. Throne and sit on it while you know the dragons can just be breathing fire on twenty four seven. What are you going to do? Yeah, like I don't. It's the ultimate that weapon. Seems like it seems like op. She doesn't even need the Unsullied. She doesn't need the Dothraki. She needs a single dragon. No. Lay down a a carpet bomb. Yeah. And just walk through it. Yeah. Uh, That seems like an unbeatable strategy. Uh, We will see. Uh, Reed B. from Calgary says, I have a tinfoily idea for the week. We know that Euron has a magical horn that burns your lungs and maybe or likely gives some power over dragons and is rumored to be able to awaken stone dragons. Oh, you can't burn Danny's lungs. She's going to blow that horn, no problem. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> Fucking fireproof Danny strikes again. Yep. Lungs of asbestos this woman's got. <laughs> we also know that the Wildings were searching for a big horn that would apparently bring down the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also know that there are rumors of an ice dragon or dragons frozen in the wall. I don't know if you knew that. I don't. All right, just but roll with it. Sounds cool. Uh, what if the horn that the Wildings were looking for is the ice equivalent to Euron's fire horn? And what if the ice horn summons or wakens the ice dragons frozen into the wall, thus breaking a lot of, uh, at least part of the wall, but unleashing this new weapon? It could even be in a case of others break glass sort of situation. The people living <laughs> north of the wall get this horn. If the others are ever starting causing shit again. You blow it and you deploy your nukes. All right. I know there's also speculation there are dragons or ice dragons in the bowels of Winterfell. You're the same idea then. You blow the ice horn, awaken the dragon, nuke the enemy. I know this is basically a fanfic idea. Oh, my, my first clue was the multiple what ifs. Uh, but I got to thinking about it while checking out Gurm's website because he has a children's book called The Ice Dragon, which I have not read, but is set in the world of ice uh, uh, for Song of Ice and Fire. Which makes me think that there really are ice dragons in this world. Now, hmm. if you go through the archive, which again, this is linked in every single spoiler podcast. Um, there is one that I did in season four, which I believe is the one that is uh, 404, The Wall of the Night's King and Rethinking the Others. Um, but I think there's also elements in the Tyrion Lannister secret Targaryen one as well hmm. um, that talk about the possibilities of ice dragons and 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 whatnot um but no i think i mean i don't here's the thing i don't know how crazy this show can get like if there's ice dragons and stone dragons and dragon dragons and sea dragons like at what point will people be like i thought i was watching a taut political thriller with a little bit of magic here and there and now i've got full-blown dungeons and dragons 
Right. Like I mean, a that's lot kind of what people, I signed up for in the beginning is uh, the political intrigue. And, and I mean, they, they could bring you along. Right. But it's just as likely that they're going to t- turn off the core audience that they built. It's like, you know, I don't usually like this sort of swords and sandals, dragons thing, but this is pretty cool. Yeah. An adult. And throw in a bunch of blue dragons and red dragons and black dragons and gold dragons and green dragons and sea dragons. Like, like you know, it's like, it's like, are you selling toys? Are there going to be a line? Like, what what's the fuck's going on? Yeah. So I, I that's the only concern I have because this all sounds cool, but like you know, and there's even literary and biblical stuff about going up to a wall and blowing a horn and a wall falling down, but like if all of this stuff happens, it feels like the world's now full to bursting with almost silliness. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how people like or even me, like that's not the Game of Thrones I signed up for either. Uh are the ice dragons ice dragons in name only or do they like shoot ice from their mouths instead of fire no one knows okay there is no information at all about what an ice dragon would sea be. dragons are they sea dragon no. different are they like the Loch Ness monster or are they just I've told you everything I know about the sea dragon which is supposedly okay. there's a carcass of one on old wick okay um but yeah I, I mean that's nobody really knows so we just know about dragons 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 the dragons that Danny's got yeah so and the historical dragons of course too mm-hmm but yeah, no, there's no there's no other type of dragon in living memory that would 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 meet these. So, um, but I did. I, that's one of the things I mentioned is the fact that it's it's crazy. But then he did write a book called The Ice Dragon, mm-hmm. which again it's a children's book. But so was The Hobbit, and look what happened there. <clears throat> Tan from or maybe it's Tane Tane uh, from Land's Own Ontario, uh, or maybe it's Land's On Ontario. I'm bombing here. Uh, it's the cold medication, folks. Just wondering if you remember the last time we saw Brand's Wolf Summer. I can't tell you no. the last time we saw him. Uh, I just read an article recently about where the wolves are. Okay. And Summer is apparently up there with him. Yeah. Like, just chilling. But I haven't seen Summer on screen in yeah. a long time. In the books, he's definitely with Bran in the cave. Okay. And... um. I want to say that there's evidence that Ghost somehow has lost his connect. You know, because all these um, all these Stark wolves have some kind of telepath uh, telepathic commun- uh, communication with each other. Like they know when one of them dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some evidence that Ghost has lost that link with Summer when he goes into the cave, which is another evidence that this is somehow specially magically warded. But I know he's there, and I know he hasn't died in the series. So I'm assuming he's just there, but they just historically don't show the CGI wolves as much as you would think because it costs money to yeah. CGI him up. Uh, she also wonders, could Azor Ahai's flaming sword be Valerian steel? I'm specifically thinking of Longclaw, if John is indeed the prince that was promised. It seems likely that Lightbringer, which is the infamous sword of the prince who was promised... Uh, which uh, Lady Melisandre helped Stannis do a pale imitation of by using trickery to set his blade on fire. It seems likely that that would be Valerian Steel because we've seen what a bang-up job it does against the others and mm-hmm. the Whites, right? Yeah. Uh, now, there are some theories that I'm familiar with about Longclaw being the actual sword uh, because legend has it that this thing... Uh, I'm going to talk about the full legend here in a minute, but legend has it that this sword is pulled from the flames... And the way, if you consider how John acquired the sword, he set the Lord Commander's apartment on fire, essentially, 
to kill the white that had tried to kill to take his life, and immediately afterwards, the Lord Commander granted him Longclaw. So you could, in an Obi Wan Kenobi certain point of view sense, say that John pulled this blade from the fires. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't like any of those theories because I don't think Lightbringer is an actual blade that's still in existence. I think it's a metaphor for what it takes to kill. Uh, to, to eliminate the threat of the others, because the legend has that Azora High forged the Lightbringer. First, he worked thirty days and thirty nights on this fucking sword, and he quenched it in water, and it shattered. He then went back to work and made it even a finer blade, and he spent sixty days and nights. And this time, he quenched it in the heart of a living lion, just plunged it right in the fucker. <laughs> went to go temper it, and it smashed into a million pieces again. What gave him that idea? Like. You know what? It didn't work last time when I tried this. Let's go with the heart of the living lion. I, you know, th- I think that might Saber work. Hagen went there too. Like all his, his uh, blades of men, the, his fantastic uh, swords of power were quenched in the hearts of men. Like that's some kind of special, like okay, you know, it's like blood magic. Like you're sacrificing a soul to do it. And here's the right. kicker: mm-hmm. he went right back to work, hundred days and hundred nights, while the, there you the go. others are just chilling. That'll do it. Plunged the blade into the heart of his wife, Nisa Nisa. All right, cool. And yeah. then it burst into flames and became Lightbringer. And so, if that's a literal story, fine. But if it's a metaphor, it's something that you. It's a work of of love and sacrifice that is enable you to wield a weapon that um, uh, can destroy the others. There's also, okay. yeah. So um, I think that's a pretty shitty thing to do to your wife. <laughs> well, she, she bared the breast. She's like, come on. Big boy. Oh, all right. She, I mean, she was, that's what I'm saying. It so wasn't it was her sacrifice, not his. Well, I think <laughs> you'd argue it was both if he loved his wife, but yeah, it's something that they, that they, <laughs> they knew needed to happen. Like they knew, like it said, like, when he tried his lion experiment, he, he, he something about him. He mm. knew he's on the right track, but he he actually knew that what was going to be really required. And he told well, him it was non consensual. The the heart stabbing. You needed a consensual lion. heart that's stabbing. Right. Of you his have to wife. have a yeah. being, a courageous being that's 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 willing to be sacrificed. Huh. But no, so I I always thought that that was a metaphor for the kind of love and sacrifice that you're going to, which I think means bad things for a lot of the heroes of the story. Like I don't see John and Danny even if if Danny makes it through as a hero because there's lots of signs that she could go mad king there's also a lot of signs that maybe John goes uh winter king uh or the the night's king so you even all that said there's going to be some great sacrifice involved mm-hmm. to defeat the others uh I don't know what that is but I I don't like the idea of like you can just find lightbringer and that's the key and everything's hunky dory okay so that's my thoughts. I could be wrong. Uh, Maz sent a lengthy email explaining their excitement of being an OG book fan. And this person at least has been a fan since A Storm of Swords. Uh, so he remembered waiting for a feast to come out and then remembered waiting for a dance to come out. And, you know, his kind of mixture of excitement, but then disappointment of how that stuff is going and how frustrated that the plots kind of stalled out. Now I'm going to just start reading from the email. I think the show overtaking the books is leading up to a very unique time. For the instant take, I suspect that you, Aaron, had a similar emotional excitement from that scene that you found difficult to fully express, and maybe you've had a chance to since then, but Jim didn't seem to be so affected. Well, I think... Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different... His, yeah, the yeah. cybernetic nature of the organism is one part. 
Uh, I think maybe the scene wasn't as emotional for show-only watchers as it was for us because we have read the books. Furthermore, maybe now that the show has overtaken the books, we're going to be the ones screaming and wailing at the television as a reverse of past seasons. What do you think? I know in the podcast you talk about all the book readers that whine about each episode, but I think they're a very small part of any community. I bet for each one of them, there are ten who are satisfied but don't say anything. Well, here I am, a book reader nerd that, as of this episode, believes the Double Ds are adding a quality to the story that Martin couldn't have done alone. I think the two are better than either, and I think the show finishing the story is best. All right. That's a controversial opinion. Um, I do think after reading Feast and Dance that Martin could use uh, an Iron Throne-sitting editor. Someone would be like, look, man, mm-hmm. look, you have – this is like the – 13th chapter in a row where people have essentially walked somewhere and then some big fucking thing happens at the end and then the next time we visit them you flash forward past that exciting thing like you can only do that so many times before you got you can't you can't have Sansa wandering through the mountains for 20 pages talking about lemon cakes in her fucking head you just can't do it um but so so whereas the double d's are like okay we've got the reins we are going to hammer this out they are the editor they are the editor that he might have needed and can really weed because that's the thing like martin's a gardener Mm -hmm. i think some that that he's used too much fertilizer and bullshit and the garden's gotten away from him Uh, he's got dandelions and it's that's the hard part like generating the plot that that and the complexity is the hard part arguably editing it down and consolidating and adapting it not trivial but much easier than coming up the idea in the first place so for sure I actually think the the double D's might be able to fly here. Um, whether it's best, I, you know, I think what's best is for Martin to tell the books and then let them adapt them from the entire from from the whole series. But you know, adapting from the cliff notes and the bullet points, it's I, I think the season's been great. I think the season's much better paced than last season. Yeah, I've enjoyed it a lot so far. And I I wasn't the ones that hated last season, but I remember thinking like. Man, I'm kind of scared that this is the season the Game of Thrones is going to jump the shark mm, because yeah. I don't know how they're going to adapt this. And, you know, there's still a lot of pacing and plot issues. And I've been, on the whole, really pleased with how it's gone. Yeah, and I think it's easier for me as a show watcher to not give a shit about sure how it's breaking the books or sure how George is going to come back around and write a book that's satisfying with the show out there. Like, none of that matters to me because I'm not going to read the books and I'm but that's, a show But only. I was worried that, like, if we got through season six and Danny was still in Marine, like yeah. even the show, you don't have any expectations, but it's like, come the fuck on. Right. So, uh, like she got burnt up in season one with her dragons and like, what the hell? She got the unsullied in season three. What the, you know? Yeah. The addition of Tyrion helped that. Yeah. And, 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 again, and again, I feel like. I will be shocked if she's not boarding boats and leaving <laughs> or with plans to do so forthwith at the end of the season. Hmm, okay. But, but we'll see. Uh, Jackson from Oklahoma says, Hey guys, with the double D saying they have only about 13 episodes remaining to be told and with HBO foaming at the mouth for more seasons, what do you think the likelihood of a prequel, sequel, or lateral quequel? Uh, <laughs> what? Ser- what? Lateral quill. I don't know how you pronounce that, even if I didn't have a shit ton of day quill in me. Uh, series coming down the pipeline. I know the speculation is way early, but with them following A&E with the day late post show, I can see them copying spinoffs. I think he means AMC. Um, uh, 
Game of Thrones, the next generation. He says the uh, possible titles, Fear the Walking Whites, <laughs> Better Call Brand the Builder, okay. uh, Tales of Dunkin' Egg, which I'd love to see the producers of Rick and Morty do. Uh, that would be fucking crazy. Dan Harmon unleashed. Because he, he's a big Game of Thrones fan, and he does his Harmontown podcast. This is the uh, producer of Community and of Rick and Morty, which if you haven't seen it, Jesus Christ, go watch it. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been in, in uh, at the end of his podcast, he always devolves into some kind of improvisational comedy. And he had Grey Worm on two or three weeks ago, and they did this fucking hilarious improv about the Game of Thrones universe. Um, and he's not one that sweats the details or the names, but that would be, that'd be kind of crazy. Uh, he continues. I know this is all just hopes and pipe dreams of fans that don't want their ride to stop, but with the wealth of material Gurm has provided instead of the last two goddamn books, there's plenty of source material available. Does HBO have the rights to it? Would you guys be interested in it? Or does it run the risk of ruining something we all know and love? Um, is the risk too high? What do you think, Jim? Duncan Egg Nine. Trying to no. All my all my sequels are from Star Trek. I like uh, the I, Duncan Egg series. Do you? I don't um, know anything about it. But I don't know that it would provide more than a season or two. And it's hmm. also a prequel, which is all which is ultimately less interesting. I mean you're and exactly it's also, describing Better Call Saul, which well, yeah. is a prequel and we didn't think had legs. So That is true. But but there again, like I um yeah, I mean But it's already written. I mean the Duncan Egg stuff is yeah is there. And you'd have to argue that this stuff is interesting in its own right or would like yeah. you know with the Star Wars prequels it was ultimately interesting because you want to know about Darth Vader. Who sure. is the person The Mad King. I don't know. Who yeah, who's the person a hundred years ago that's influenced like if the three-eyed raven was actually this Brendan Rivers blood raven character, uh, and that he, he kind of comes in at the tail end of the third of the Hedge Knight series, um, maybe that's interesting. But like, that's kind of an unfinished tale into its own right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would, I would really love to see some more stuff with Ned and Rob, like how that whole rebellion sure you can do happened. The, like, you could do the Robert's Rebellion series, right? You could do a lot of. T- so the the thing is, is I don't maybe an anthology series of like different yeah. times from Game of Thrones. I do absolutely know because some people have pitched this as a way to give Martin a chance to, sh- to catch up. That they might shut down production and then do these and then get back to. That's never ever going to no. happen. No. There's no way they can hold on to everyone's contracts. These kids are not stopping growing up. <laughs> right. You're going to be re- completely ridiculous if you don't end this and end it within a, a reasonable time frame. Mm-hmm. So th- as far as will HBO want to continue to milk in the cash cow, I think, sure. I think if they can I, – I know that the Double Ds, I think, have said in an interview this last season that they are not interested in doing it. Uh, now I don't yeah, know that they, that's... I, I've heard that they are kind of over Game of Thrones. Yeah, like not that it, it's kind of like, like they just those... want to get it over with and be sure, done. Like... Sure, and it's and I don't think it's that's in a negative way. It's just like this has been a huge labor of theirs over, and it's just ruled their life. They don't do anything right. but make Game of Thrones. They want to do other things, is what they yeah. said. So, but on the other hand, HBO has crazy stable of talent and can recruit more, and a hot property like this. Right would be something a lot of people would like to direct and write for. So, I mean, yeah, I could see them doing it, but, like, you know, you're not going to hear any of that until, like, the last season Mm -hmm. if there's any kind of contracts or stuff in the works. But it won't involve any of the original cast, probably won't involve a lot of the crew, and it's going to be one of those things where 
you know, be careful what you wish for, because I, for one, thought Peter Jackson's adaptation of The Hobbit was hot shit. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, it's just, you know, like, you can go to the, like, okay, well, you want to tell Duncan Egg, and then you want to tell, you know, go start plumbing the world of ice and fire, and start bringing the appendixes in, and suddenly you've got a nice, tight novella that's a thousand pages long, and you gotta adapt that thing, and I just don't know. Like, I, if you ask me, do I want to see more Game of Thrones type stuff? Sure. But I'll I feel like this. they're telling the most interesting stories that, from that and, world right now. That's the now. thing. Duncan Egg is the is not nearly as interesting. It's a single right. point of view of a relatively simple person and a relatively simple plot that's told in a straightforward manner. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's it was interesting and entertaining and I liked it and I love my illustrated copy, but uh, it's not nearly as complex and adult and mature as you know a Game of Thrones. Yeah. So maybe they do an animated series. Yeah, I mean, HBO's done that before. They did the Spawn thing. Spawn? Uh, yeah, you remember that? They, they, they did a bunch Spawn? Of, I believe they did a bunch of Hellboy animation stuff. Was that them? Okay. So they've done some fairly mature animated things that would certainly cost a whole hell of a lot less. Mm-hmm. A whole hell of a way. Uh, okay, so let's continue on. I think we got two more to go. Matthew M., I'm a show watcher only joining in on the spoiler section this year, so please forgive my ignorance, but when the faceless men take the face of another, do they also take the body as well? If it works that way, how would you guys feel if Arya takes the face and or body of the Hound and kills the mountain in a show remix of the version of the Gravedigger? I can't do it in my throat. It was unwise of me to do it twice with a sore throat. This would check and name off her list and tie tie nicely into the idea of faceless men wanting to balance the mountain, being brought back to life, and cheating the god of death. Uh, seeing Melisandre without her glam on in episode one could be part of the reveal that this magic of taking or appearing in different body is possible and available. Arya's new skills in the Hound's body would be badass. You're too new. You're too new to the spoiler podcast because we all know that the Hound is not dead. His face has not been reaped. That's true. That's or, true. Or we're all working on that assumption. So, I, I, so I, I tried to do some research today, and people are all. My opinion was no fucking way. They can't change their fuck their size and shape. It's like Odo and Deep I Space thought they just Nine. came with the face. That's what I'm saying. Like it's like Odo and Deep Space Nine. He can turn into a chair. He can turn into a humanoid of about his size and shape. He cannot appear as a house cat, and he can't appear as a giant dragon. Like there's only so much he can do with his size and shape. And I thought he could. I thought he could. No, I thought, in fact, uh, you just watched the series, but I thought that was a whole point, that, like, he can only attain the shape that's... Can you think of him, like, turning into something handheld? Why am I... Well, at? he fits in a bucket when he's... When that's he's, true. Like, a human being, no matter how you try, no matter how you squeeze and squish, is not going to fit in a bucket. No way. Five not a little pail. A five-gallon, five maybe. I can fit you in there. <laughs> maybe. Give me a blender. But not change. Odo's little sleeping pail. He's Okay. No. You might have me, and this has no bearing. This <laughs> okay. was an analogy that's entirely <laughs> right. inaccurate, so strike it from the record. But mm-hmm. it was always my impression that that like Arya could appear to be um, roughly a size and shape of a person that she is with a face. Hmm. Um, and the when she's going undergoing her training, there's an interesting back and forth where she's begging the kindly man to teach her the magic of turning... Uh, changing into her face, uh, changing her face. And he's like, well, that takes years and years of practice and magic to master. And she's disappointed. And he, she, he's like, but if you want to, he goes, but I can t- tell you the first step. And he says, uh, 
puff out your cheeks and stick out your tongue, and she does so, and he goes, there, you've changed there you your go. face. Yep. And But his larger point is, he, at the right. end of it, he says, why use magic when a mummer's trick would suffice? Right. Which suggests that you can hunch down, you can wear platform she- uh, uh, shoes, you can do a lot and enhance that with the glamour. Mm-hmm. But I don't know the idea of just taking over, like, uh, like becoming the mountain if you're Arya. Now, right. It's like the Pink Panther. You just disguise yourself up a little bit. Uh, and, and, you, and you put magic on top of that, and who knows what happens. Now, having said that, there's a lot of people that say just the opposite, that if you got magic, you can do anything you want. I, I, That's true. There is nothing in the canon that suggests... Like, Melisandre has glamoured a man to look like another man. She's glamoured herself, and this is in the show, to look like, you know, a younger version of herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen Jack and Hagar turn into people that are roughly, like, you know, a, a humanoid male. I don't see any evidence that they can do something crazy, like masquerade as a dragon, or uh, a mammoth, or a giant, or what have you. Right. But, um, you know, there's also no limitation that says that he can't do that. Uh, but no, I, for one, like you said, I believe the hound's alive and, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't like the idea of Arya going and, uh, because there's another thing I, I, I might've cut. I thought I, maybe I, I leave this for next week's non-spoiler podcast because it's not particularly spoiling. Uh, nope, nope, nope. Here's it is the last email. Sarah G says, are we assuming the face, the show faceless men have different rules from the book faceless men? In the books, a faceless person cannot be assigned to kill someone that he or she knows personally. This is a big deal as it will preclude Arya from being allowed or assigned to kill anyone on her shortened show list except for Walder Frey since she has not personally met them. She's met both Cersei and Gregor, so, per the rules of the Order, she wouldn't accept the assignment to kill either of them. Personally, I think she'll eventually won't be able to be no one and she'll head out on her own, but I don't see everyone theorizing that she would be assigned to kill Cersei or the Mountain by the Faceless Men since they know of the personal relationship. Assigning Arya to kill anyone on a list would be serving Arya and not the mini-faced god. Yeah, the whole reason I let that go on is because the show watchers don't know any of that and they haven't established it. And right. in fact, Jacken says, like, a girl has a many names to kill and she can, like, that's part of his pitch to her is that she will get to do those things on the show, and they haven't contraindicated hmm. it. So okay. I do think it's going to be a sticking point that it eventually becomes her, uh, causes her to to leave, maybe. to become Arya and get the needle and go off on her own. But, you yeah. know, I'm not going to... And the other thing is, like, just the show could run that way. Or, uh, you know, like, maybe she does say fuck you to the Faceless Men, and the Double Ds decide they just want, you know, to have her still be a faceless man and just do away with the rule. I mean, who knows how they can do the right. adaptation. Yeah, it seems like... Uh, so I guess I'm surprised there's so much speculation then about like her going to kill John, uh, you know, with that idea that he's an abomination or whatever. He's cheated the gods of death. Well, but most of that stuff is coming from, I think, show watchers. Okay. Or from, you know, okay, the other thing that is, makes like, sense. It's impossible to keep all the rules of this world in your head when you're theory crafting. So <laughs> right. sometimes the best way to get that out is just to, just to suggest Throw it out it. there and see if so. it sticks, yeah. Um, but yeah, my understanding is that's the case too. And that's, what's eventually going to break, but I, you know, who knows what they're going to do on the show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, I let a lot of stuff fly in the non-spoiler section just because, although that's something I try to weed out. Cause <clears throat> every once in a while, like it was really rampant in season three, a lot of show, a lot of quote unquote show watchers were predicting the red wedding and yeah. there were yeah. signs but, like, that's one they of those things that where obvious. I'm not – even if you're right, it ain't worth me potentially spoiling everyone's enjoyment of it, uh, you know, just for you to get internet points. So yeah. 
Um, there's a lot of times where <clears throat> I won't come down on either one side because I don't want to potentially split. It's getting harder for me to tell because some... And not even mention something if you know that it's going to happen later. Yeah, and some of the stuff now, it's even it's even a blurrier line. Like, you know... I mean, it's some stuff is obvious. Like, oh, I think that they're going to find some horn that's going to be able to you know control dragons. I'm like, okay, we'll settle down. We'll talk about that in the spoiler edition. But some things are really subtle, and I don't know what the... Mm-hmm. What the call and what the not. I, I try to do the best I can, but uh, you know, even the even season three, I remember I was able to like I wouldn't read the whole theory, but I was able to read the thing that they cited as show evidence of it happening, and like asked a question like, "Did you think this was or what? You know what? What do you think?" This right, is going? and since I didn't know, I was free well, that's to back talk in the Mapper days, I think. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. So, I, but I played the same game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, did you like my did you like my gravedigger slip into the main cast? That's my favorite thing to do is to throw a blatant spoiler into it, but without context, no one knows. Right, which I argued was the whole like the whole reason we didn't have to keep the gravedigger shirt to the spoiler people. Yeah, and you shot it down, so I'm a little like, oh, okay. Well, that's what the, uh, the thing you're, is. You're if, not, if, not worried this, this about spoil- podcast spoilers. So but. the spoiler T-shirt, which by the way you can get if you go to gravedigger.baldmove.com. It's a it's yeah. a shirt commemorating the 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 long run of uh, mildly interesting. The phrase that I used to use many many times when Jim or Mad Brew would suggest something that yeah. may or may not be part of the plot, and I'd say, "Oh, it's mildly interesting," mm-hmm. to mask my uh, knowledge of the books, and it worked really well. But it's time for it to die, and we've got a T-shirt that commemorates it, and it's got the hound bearing it. If it didn't have the hound, if the no. hound had a mask on or had his back to us, and it wasn't recognizably easily as the hound, I wouldn't have a problem. That's why it's like when you said the Book of Strangers, like, well, maybe someone walked through a graveyard and had a complete change of character and heart. Um, you know, I feel like all the book readers were like, ho, ho, but nobody can get that. Okay. All right. Like I said, if it didn't have the hound's face on it, it would be, but that's the thing. Like you know, you're not the one getting the emails from people outraged that I'm dropping spoilers. Which so that's far true. I haven't gotten one. Good. This is the first season I haven't had someone outraged that I've spoiled something because some people like that's one of the reasons I felt like talking about the mechanics of the king's moot is kind of background detail. Mm-hmm. But there'd be people pissed off that, that I didn't know it was going to be ships captains only, or I didn't know it was going to be so. You know, I I just try yeah. to rule like unless it happened on the show or like. The other thing is, like, if it happened 300 years ago and it's not going to be probably dealt with on the show, like, I'll tell you. Like, here's, yeah, here's yeah. the skinny about the Aegon the Conqueror or Aegon the Unworthy or whatnot. But mm-hmm. but you wouldn't drop, like, Tower of Joy stuff. No. <laughs> right. No, no, no. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I, I'm, I'm just a man. Uh, I'm nobody. <laughs> I'm no one. All right, so that's the podcast. If you would like to send us email and you got your own tinfoil or you got some exceptions with the tinfoil we've been spinning, send it to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Uh, you can also discuss it at our burgeoning forum community. Burgeoning? Burgeoning? Uh, burgeoning, I Our think. burgundy. Our burgundy mm-hmm. forum community. They're a little, they're a little like wine, wine red uh, over at forums.baldmove.com. And... That's it. That's our. That's it for our coverage. We'll be back Sunday night, of course, for an instant take, and then Tuesday for the full podcast, and then the wheel turns over again on Friday when we get to the spoiler section, and we'll see you then. Have a great weekend.